Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. What's up, e-commerce friend? Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster. If it's your first time here, welcome. I'm super stoked and I can't wait to learn more about you and your business. If you're not already, come join the e-commerce badassery Facebook group so we can chat. The link to join is in the show notes. Today, we're talking about the latest iOS updates that have Facebook advertisers shaking in their boots iOS 14.5 released about a month ago, and advertisers are definitely starting to feel the effects. Now, I want to preface this conversation with the fact that I do not claim to be a Facebook ads expert, and I don't run ads for clients. I'm much more high-level strategy when it comes to that. But the information I'm sharing with you is coming directly from a Facebook product manager that I spoke to on Clubhouse, Nicole Dietrich of Dietrich Marketing Strategies, who works in Facebook ads every single day. And of course, my own research and understanding of how digital marketing ads, analytics, and all that good stuff works. All of that to say, I'm certainly well-versed enough to walk you through this. And if you've been hanging with me for any amount of time, you know, I don't bullshit and wouldn't speak on something if I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I did want to get an expert on the show to discuss it, but truth be told, I struggled to find the time. As you can imagine, coordinating and recording interviews is a bit more difficult than just pumping out a solo episode. And I wanted to get this information to you sooner rather than later. Also, Don't forget to scroll down to the show notes wherever you're listening for links to supporting articles and documentation that shows you how to make sure this is all set up properly in case you haven't made the necessary changes yet. All right, let's dive in. First, let's understand what this operating system update really means. Essentially, instead of manually opting out of being tracked, users now have to manually opt in. Think of it like the checkbox at Shopify's checkout where the user says whether or not they want to receive email marketing from you. If you're in the U.S., there's a pretty good chance you have that checked by default. So the user has to uncheck it if they don't want to subscribe to your emails. In the EU, because of GDPR, this checkbox actually has to be unchecked by default, which means the user has to check the box to opt in. The goal of this is to make it a more active opt-in so the user really knows and understands that they're signing up for your email list. The same goes for this new iOS 14 update. If you're an iPhone user and you've updated your operating system, you've likely already seen the pop-up that comes up when you go to use the Facebook app asking whether you want to opt in or not to be tracked. Now, when someone is opting in or out, what exactly are they opting in or out of? To make sure you can really wrap your head around this, let's talk about the difference between first-party and third-party data. 
First-party data is data and behavior that happen on your own website, whereas third-party data is behavior that happens on someone else's site who then shares that data with you. So in terms of Facebook and Instagram, things like liking, commenting, sharing posts, watching videos, stories, reels, IGTV, etc., visiting or liking pages, RSVPing to events, that is all first-party data that belongs to Facebook. On the other hand, when you take actions on your phone, like visiting websites and using other apps, this data used to get shared with apps like Facebook through browser cookies. This is what will be limited when users opt out of being tracked by specific apps. Now, in addition to users having to explicitly opt into being tracked by Facebook, there have also been some changes to the Facebook pixel and how it tracks data. So even if a user has agreed to be tracked, they're still going to get less data than they were previously. Specifically, you can now only track a maximum of eight events at any given time, and it will only show ad conversions that happen within a seven-day window. Also, of those eight events, it's only going to show the highest value event based on how you organize them. So for instance, let's say you're tracking a page view, an add to cart, an initiate checkout, and a purchase. If your customer clicks on your ad, views a page, adds a product to cart, and initiates checkout, it will only report on the initiated checkout event. And that has to happen within seven days of that initial click. Let's say a user clicks an ad, views a page, and adds a product to cart. Then eight days later, that user makes a purchase. Facebook will only report the add to cart conversion, not the actual sale because it happened outside of the seven day window. You still with me? All right, now before we go into what this actually means, let's talk about something called the conversion API. The conversion API is a tool that allows you to pass information directly from your website to Facebook through your web servers versus relying on the Facebook pixel collecting data through the browser. Just in case you don't know how the pixel works, let's talk about that real quick so you can understand the difference. So as you likely already know, the Facebook pixel is a little snippet of code that you put on your website that lets Facebook pull data from third-party cookies like browser cookies. If someone was using an ad blocker or browsing in incognito mode, the pixel would not have been able to collect data about that shopper. If you think about those who don't opt in to be tracked by Facebook after the new changes, it's essentially like they're always browsing the internet in incognito mode. But the pixel relies on that third-party data, those third-party cookies to collect that information. With the conversion API, instead of Facebook collecting the data from a third party, you as the website owner are sending your first party data, the data that you own over to Facebook. Now I know this sounds really technical and honestly it is, but the good news is that if you're on a platform like Shopify and you're using the Facebook channel, you're already doing this. The same goes for WooCommerce and the Facebook plugin. I'll put links in the show notes about those tools. One last note about the conversion API. If you are using it and sending data about your website users to Facebook, you have to make sure that your privacy policy tells the website visitors that. I did an episode about the importance of your privacy policy. It's episode 37. There's a link in the show notes. 
Okay, so now you understand the difference between first and third party data and how Facebook is going to track events moving forward. One quick note here. Don't forget to check the show notes for additional details on everything. I'm not covering every last step you have to take here, but the resources are all available to you. So now let's talk about what this all really means and how it's going to affect your ads. You're going to see the biggest hit in your remarketing and lookalike audiences. Not that Facebook can't still create them. It's just that those audiences are going to be smaller because Facebook won't be able to identify as many people that would fall into them. And I know this is a big hit to small businesses. For those of you who are already running ads, I'm sure those retargeting ads are the ones that are really killing it and have really great ROAS. And that, of course, will also apply to your lookalike audiences. I know one strategy that Nicole is trying right now at the time of this recording is instead of doing 1% lookalike audiences, she's trying 10%. Ultimately, she's trying to get more people into that lookalike audience. As we know, e-commerce is really a numbers game. You need a lot of eyeballs on your shit. It's too soon to tell how effective that is, but once we know more, I'll be sure to share it with you. As for cold audiences, it's likely we're going to have to get a little old school and start really dialing back into specific audiences versus relying solely on the Facebook ads algorithm, which has always really been Nicole's strategy because it lets her manage the budget more effectively You'll often hear a lot of ads people, those who spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on ads, say they just let Facebook do everything versus picking their own audiences. And that may very well work when you've got a good amount of spend. I haven't run ads enough myself to say whether one is better than the other. But I have to assume that if Facebook is getting less data from third parties, it's going to be a bit more difficult for their AI to figure out who the best targets are, but I could totally be wrong. And one more quick note about this. Those people who opt out of allowing Facebook to track them, they're still going to see ads. They're just not necessarily going to be personalized ads because they don't know their browsing behavior off of Facebook. Okay, so if we can't rely on this third-party data and we just have less data overall, what should we be focused on to help improve our ad performance and continue to grow our business? For one, your organic social. Remember how I mentioned earlier the difference between first-party and third-party data? Well, all the interaction your customers have on Facebook and Instagram is their first-party data, which means they can use it for ad targeting. So that social engagement you get is going to be really important. If you don't already have a strong social presence, now is a great time to get on that. Create engaging content that inspires your audience to engage with it so that you can target them with your ads. Your email list is also going to be super important. As if it wasn't already, it's going to be even more important now. Remember, your email list is the cheapest and easiest way to retarget your customers. So make sure you are always building that list. Not to mention those email addresses on your list. That's your first party data, which means you can upload them to Facebook or push them over through an integration like that of Klaviyo and build your remarketing audiences that way. Now, of course, this only works if the email address you upload matches the email address they have on Facebook. So you won't necessarily get every single person on the list, but it's still a great place to start. And the last thing, your Google Analytics. 
Because the data inside a Facebook ads manager is going to be so limited, you're going to have to start using Google Analytics to get the full picture of how your ads are performing. Really quick, if you speed up your podcast when you listen to them, you might want to go back to regular time for this or come back and listen to this when you can really concentrate and take some notes because we're going to talk about how to use Google Analytics to monitor your ad performance. So in order to easily utilize Google Analytics to track your ad's performance, you're going to want to start using custom UTM parameters. Now I've done an episode on this before. It's number 50 and I'll put a link in the show notes. The context of that episode was really about your general marketing campaigns and working with influencers where for this, we're going to talk specifically about using them with Facebook ads because it's going to be a little bit different. But if the idea of UTMs are completely foreign to you, go listen to episode 50. A quick recap. UTMs are just little bits of information you add on to links so that Google Analytics can better read your data. There is default data that gets pushed over by Facebook, but it gets jumbled up with your other social media data and it can be hard to read and understand. By using custom UTM parameters, you get to choose how the data is sent, which makes it much easier to see inside the platform. The reason why setting up UTMs and Facebook ads is different than when you're creating links from scratch for other marketing purposes is that you're going to be using dynamic placeholders that Facebook will automatically fill in based on the ad they're attached to. Think about an ad that you have running across both Facebook and Instagram with multiple placements like the Facebook or Instagram feed versus stories. If you were manually creating these UTMs, you would need each of those to be separate ads if you wanted to track which one was working better. With these dynamic placeholders, Facebook will automatically insert the proper information when the user clicks on the ad. So you don't necessarily have to change how you set things up in the back end of Ads Manager. One thing you will want to note though is to pay attention to your campaign and ad names. If you are sending over the name of your campaign, which you should, you'll want to make sure it's something you'll understand when you look at it in Google Analytics. All right, so how do you actually use custom UTMs for Facebook ads? At the ad level, right under where you paste in the URL you want to send the user to, you'll see a little blue link that says build a URL parameter. The default fields are going to be campaign source, campaign medium, campaign name, and campaign content. When you click into each box, a dropdown will appear with all the available dynamic placeholders. You add the placeholder and then Facebook updates the information based on the ad that was clicked and sends that over to Google Analytics. Now, technically, you can put whatever you want in these fields and that's how Google will show it. But how exactly you set this up is going to depend a bit on personal preference. I really wanted to give you a solid, this is how you should do it answer, but I'm not really sure there is one. So much of it is dependent on how you want to look at it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what GA does by default and how you can alter that. Ultimately, you'll have to make the best decision for you. We'll start with source. This is the platform the traffic came from. So Google, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram story, IG shopping, Klaviyo, etc. There are two different placeholders that you can potentially use here. One of them is called site source name. 
this will populate values like Facebook or Instagram. But it won't break out where on these sources the traffic came from. The placeholder for that is called placement. This tells you where the click happened, like whether it was from the feed or stories. Now, of course, you can put that in another one of the fields if you want, but considering placement on Instagram is already broken out in Google Analytics, you heard me say it, right? Instagram, Instagram story, IG shopping. It would make sense to use placement as the source. Next up is medium. Medium is the type of traffic you're receiving. Generally, you'll see values like organic, CPC, referral, or email here. In most cases, all of your organic social traffic is grouped under referral, which makes sense. It's another site referring traffic to yours. The same would be true if you had a blogger feature you on their site. That would be classified as referral traffic. Then when you think about traffic you get from Google, you'll of course see organic, but you'll also see CPC if you're running ads. CPC just stands for cost per click, and that's how paid traffic is represented in GA. So if you wanted to see your organic social traffic as referral and paid social traffic as CPC, then you can use a static value of CPC in medium. Just make sure it's written in all lowercase letters. Google Analytics is case sensitive, so if you were to write it out in caps, it would create a separate line item in GA. Another way to set these two up would to have your source as site source name and then use placement in your medium. Like I mentioned, ultimately it's up to you and how you prefer to read the data. I personally would probably use placement as the source and a static value of CPC as the medium because as a strategist, I like to make sure I can see big picture numbers and I like the idea of grouping things together as much as possible. If I need to break it down further, I will, but I don't want a bunch of disjointed data in there. The last two fields are campaign and then campaign content. For campaign, I would just use the actual campaign name. There's a placeholder for that. Make sure you're choosing the one that says name versus ID. Campaign ID is just a string of numbers that will be completely meaningless when you're looking at it in Google Analytics. And then for campaign content, you can use the ad name. This will let you see how the different ads you're creating, like a video versus a static image, are performing. The trick here is you have to be really intentional when you name your campaign and ads. Make sure you create a structure to follow so that it's obvious what you're referring to when you're looking at the data in Google Analytics. Okay, I know that was a lot of info and probably a smidge confusing because there's no one perfect way to do it. So let me give you a recap really quick. So source, the platform your traffic is coming from. You can use site source name or placement. Medium, this is the type of traffic you're getting. If you're using site source name in source, you might want to use the placement here. Otherwise, you can use a static value of CPC to record this as paid traffic and differentiate it from your organic social referral traffic. Campaign, this is going to be your campaign name. And then campaign content will be your ad name so you can differentiate the actual ad itself and see the different versions of your ad that you're testing. So how are you doing? You hanging in there? We're almost done, but I have one more very important topic to cover with you here. 
And this is probably the most important part of this episode, so stick with me. One of the biggest issues with these changes is the lack of data and reporting inside of Facebook Ads Manager. Not only do you have a shorter conversion window, but the reporting is delayed about 24 to 48 hours-ish. And because the reports will only attribute one event to an ad, it's going to look like your ads are less successful than they were before. Truth be told, I'm actually happy that the attribution inside of Facebook ads is changing. It used to be that if a user engaged with an ad at any step in the funnel, Facebook would attribute that sale to an ad, even if they ultimately converted from an email or something else. So I did feel like the results were a smidge inflated in Facebook ads native reporting. Google Analytics and Shopify, however, report on last click attribution, which means the last action a customer took before converting is what will get the credit for the sale. So for instance, if someone clicks on a Facebook ad and goes to your website, signs up for your email list, and then converts from the email, Google Analytics will give the credit to your email marketing, while Facebook will give the credit to the ad. Now, this will still be the case, unless that conversion happens more than seven days after they clicked the ad. As I mentioned earlier, it used to be a 28-day window, so only tracking for seven days now is going to affect what gets reported inside of Facebook ads, which is ultimately going to make it seem as if your ads are not as effective as they once were. But just because the customer didn't convert directly from the ad within that seven-day period doesn't mean it wasn't an instrumental part of the sale. This is why your assisted conversion report inside of Google Analytics is going to be so important. The assisted conversion report will show you how much revenue a particular source assisted in creating for you. So even if they don't get credit for the final conversion, Google Analytics will still give it some credit for making the sale happen. And this report is important not just for analyzing your Facebook ads, but all of your marketing. The opposite can happen too, right? Maybe someone clicks on an email you send, but then ultimately converts off of a retargeting ad. Google Analytics will give that credit to the ad, but the email you sent was still an important part of the transaction, and it may not have taken place if you never sent the email. So what is the moral of the story here? Yes, your retargeting audiences are going to be smaller. Yes, less sales are going to get attributed to your Facebook ads. Yes, all of your other marketing methods are going to be more important. But with some smart marketing and an understanding of your numbers, this isn't going to be the digital marketing apocalypse. Keep building your list, keep showing up organically, keep serving your audience. Don't forget to scroll down to the show notes wherever you're listening to get more resources to help you sort through this and head to ecommercebadassery.com forward slash 62 for the transcript of this episode and to see a visual of the Facebook ad custom URL builder. That is a wrap for today, e-commerce friend. I will see you on the flip side. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.